All right, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis. Easy book to find, first book of the New Testament. We're gonna be in Genesis 18 this morning, looking at verses 16 to 33. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, there are people here who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, you throw your hand up, we get a Bible into your hands. If you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up. Grab one of these as our gift to you. You can take it home to, to, to read God's Word on your own. So grab a copy of God's Word. Whether you brought your own Bible, one of these, or you've got on your smartphone, and and get to Genesis chapter 18. We're in the middle of a series, only one more sermon after this sermon, talking about the life of Abraham and how, how God increased Abraham for a purpose. And God, God promised Abraham that, that he would bless him. And God said, I'm, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to increase you. But not for Abraham just to, to kick back and enjoy the blessing for himself. Not, not that Abraham would have more and be more, but it's for him to be a blessing for others. Ultimately, from Abraham's blessing, which is going to be a son, God promised him a family that from his family line would come the Messiah, where, where the, we would be rescued, all of us rescued from our sins. So there's this blessing given to Abraham that he'd be a blessing to, to the world. And so this morning, if you're, you're here this morning as one who's experienced God's grace, where, where God's changed your heart, where you've seen your greatest need, the, the need for your sin to be dealt with, to be forgiven by Christ, to be forgiven by God through Christ so that you could be brought back into relationship with God. And you've come to that point where you've trusted in Christ's perfect life, where you've trusted in his sacrificial death, where where your sin was placed on him and and he took the penalty, he took the consequences that you deserved. And by turning to him and laying that on him and trusting in Christ's death and resurrection, you've received a blessing of new life. You've been declared righteous because of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And that that blessing you've received, just like Abraham's blessing, is not for us to sit back and just enjoy. Thank you, Lord, for that eternal blessing. Jesus calls us now to go. to, To be a blessing that you are saved for a purpose. You you are increased by God in that blessing to be an increase for others, to be on the mission of the gospel. And I I thought, what's the best way for me to introduce this idea, this idea of blessed to be a blessing? I thought a life story would be the way to go. And so I've asked Dottie Barber from Christine's Place, the Pregnancy Crisis Center in Huntsville, to come and share a story. Now, Dottie serves as the the center director there. And, And Dottie's gonna come, and I want her to share her story. She's been transformed by God's grace. And now she wants to be used as someone transformed by that grace to be a blessing to others, to to point people, other people say, man, I've been changed, I've been transformed, and you can experience the same thing through the good news of Jesus Christ. So I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Dottie. I'll ask them both right now. How have you been impacted by God's grace in your life personally? And and where do you see the redemption of God's grace, the redemption of the gospel in your own life story? And then secondly, now as a recipient of that grace, how do you see your life mission? Thank you, Kai. Thank you for having me here today. And it's just such a a gift to my heart and a privilege and honor that the Lord would have me share like this. So Again, thank you. And I am a blessed woman. I have uh, a beautiful family, married to my husband 36 years, and I have uh, four beautiful children, three daughters and a son. And I have a 
11 granddaughters and one grandson. Wow, that's <laughs> So uh, very, very blessed with a beautiful uh, family full of love and uh, just full of uh, life. So we're so grateful. Mm. And I also get to work at Christine's Place, which is a beautiful uh, pregnancy care center, which has uh, developed into, we've moved to a new place just a couple years ago. It's just a beautiful house that we have for those that are facing unplanned pregnancies and are in crises. And so we're able to just really be blessed with that um, atmosphere of home, as well as the beautiful surroundings of Muskoka and just uh, the wonderfulness that God has uh, blessed us with there. Uh, to provide others um, healing and wholeness. But it wasn't always that way. And so I wanted to share my story, which is actually truly God's story uh, of redemption and of his power to heal and, um, and to save those whom he loves, which is us. Amen. So uh, going back to my teen years, at 15 years old, I became uh, a, a teenage pregnancy. Hmm. I had a teenage pregnancy. And I had gotten involved uh, looking for love and searching for belonging and fitting in with mm. the group. Um, and so uh, got involved and it was uh, not a good scene. Mm. So having shared with my father and mother when this happened, um, my father was devastated, very broken, very upset, and looking for answers, really what he felt would be the answer would be abortion. So I was devastated. I did give Jesus my heart at nine. I had followed him somewhat throughout uh, the earlier years and into high school. I had had a little bit of discipleship, but not much uh, of, my own, of my own accord. So I, I really felt to fight for this little one. I just knew it wasn't right in my heart. I knew it wasn't right in my, in my spirit. And so I presented to my father, who's a professional at the time, a, a professor at a college and was a great speaker and and uh, I was nervous to talk to him and say father this is my case that I would love not to have this abortion and I'd love this baby to live but he was um, overcome with concern and worry and fret and uh, and struggled to find the answer and he really felt abortion was the answer for me I tried to reach out for help by calling um, a pregnancy care center. At the time, I saw the phone number on a billboard as I was driving by, and I thought, I'll call. I'll get some help somehow. And I called twice. Uh, no answer. So thus, we now have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week phone at the center, which runs all the time, and we care for that. And we look at that as very important to have someone mm -hmm. live on the other end to answer this young woman who would be calling. So the second appointment for the abortion went through and I had the abortion and following that everything just seemed to go as life had been as I had known it in my family with no talk of the abortion, no closure for me, no understanding of how to talk or who to talk to and so it went silent within me and within my household, my family. We didn't talk about it, it was as if it never happened and there was no discussion at all and so within that came this closing of part of my life and I would suppress feelings and I would what we call in our program at the center our living in color program is living in the gray zone where you don't have a t you're not really in touch with your emotions you, you've really denied yourself and this was my way of coping and it was because my paternal instincts and 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 mother instincts had been messed with and so um 
because even as a little girl, I loved to play with the dolls. I was the little girl doing the playing the house, and I would spend lots of times with time with my dolls and such, and it was just an important piece of who I was. But this who I was became quiet and, and, and broken mm-hmm. and almost dead. So years went on, and I met my beautiful husband, Doug, and we married. Um, we had two children in my early 20s, uh, and beautiful little girl and then a little boy and they should have brought me all the hope and love and happiness that I thought they would because I had these little people not not happening because inside of me there was such brokenness and pain and hurt that came along with this shame and stuffing things that I ended up in depression and I ended up uh, with anxiety and I ended up um, alone in it and so um just the sense of darkness and aloneness uh, drew me to a place of quite desperation and confusion. And uh, in that dark, lonely place, um, I continued to go to church. My husband and me had been going to church. We were Sunday churchgoers, not at all full out and not at all surrendered to seeking God and knowing about him. We just lived a, a, a very, um, you know, mediocre Christian life which Jesus loves us to go all out. (laughs) So anyway, we were at church one Sunday morning, and I was there uh, with some of my little children there beside me on the pew, and it just overcame me. The depression and and the sorrow started to roll down my cheeks, and it was a quiet, silent cry, but it was very real and very deep within me. And so I was in a very, very desperate space. And to my joy... Jesus Christ spoke into my heart, and he said, I have come to give you life in it abundant, which at that moment was like the biggest miracle for me to hear, because it gave me this hope and this knowing that he was here. He's alive, he's real, and he's going to help me find my way. And so um, the, the journey went on. A few weeks later, I'm at my home, and I'm still being tormented with depression, but I'm remembering this promise. It's very strong in me. And then I hear again inside of my heart, um, I was in a, in a kind of a cloud of darkness and loneliness in my living room. Of course, my children are out, you know, in that house as well. And, and I just hear the Lord because I was so confused. I couldn't even find my way out of my house to go to visit my mom who was just down the little path at the other end of the path I couldn't quite quite find my way to that path and it was really a confusing time and the Lord came and he he said sing Jesus loves me and it was like as I sang the words Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so he started to console he started to quieten my thoughts And he started to lead me into a place of um, his love for me. Mm. And then he, uh, he began to say, uh, not really say, he, he was bringing me to mind that he would, we need to talk about something, Dottie. And there's a verse in the scripture that says, come, let us talk together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they be crimson, they will be white as wool. And that is true of Jesus Christ. He has the power to do this. And so he spoke uh, to me, let's talk about forgiving your father. Because I had a deep wound and a deep 
sorrow and loss, and I didn't know where to go with it. Mm -hmm. And this was about, about 21, and I was 15. Mm. It's a long time to carry. Mm. And so I did end up forgiving my dad with the help of God that day. Wow. And I did ask his forgiveness, too, with my father and, and, and shared with him a little bit later on. Wow. Um, but I ended up uh, then the Lord continued to woo me with his spirit, and he also, I was seeking him, which he means, um, if you love me, seek me with your whole heart. There's, there's that word, like, all of it, all of it. Keep coming after me, and you will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. Mm -hmm. This was kind of the exchange we were having, the Lord and me. And so he opened the door for me to go to this beautiful woman's Christian meeting, and at this meeting, I was, went for several months, probably about four or five months, because I was so bound in fear. I was nervous of everything and everyone. And I wasn't um, at all ready to let anybody get too close to me. And, um, but I watched as the Lord melted my heart. And I watched this woman on the stage who had a beautiful, real relationship with Jesus Christ that was just, he was her friend. And she loved him abandonedly. She loved him with everything. And I knew it. I could feel it and I could see it. And I thought in my heart, i got to go forward for prayer. Now, I had never been to a prayer meeting where you go forward. I had no knowledge of this. But they had, they had a little um, prayer, a couple of ladies, including this woman who had sung to the Lord mm. abandonedly and, and danced to him. She couldn't care less because she was just doing it with him. Mm. And so I went up, and she prayed for me. And the Lord touched my life and gave me such joy instead of sorrow, mm. forgiveness completely, without like almost like a stamp of forgiveness. Amen. He delivered me from the pain and suffering, the torment I had been in um, all those years. Wow. It was a transformation of God's miraculous power, and that's why I want to give him all the glory. So, so with that as your yes. story... How has that changed what your life mission is now? So my life mission is now to follow after him with my whole heart, mm. to seek after him and to do the things that he asks of me each day. Mm. So that is what's brought me to Christine's place and all of those that are around my life. Wow. He has restored it and he has allowed me now to pour into people who are facing the same kind of Amen. things that I went through as a young teenager. I can answer that phone or as a, as a woman who has suffered through abortion, I can love with that woman mm. and tell her you can come out of being where you are to a Amen. life of abundance. And that has been his promise and that's what he did, Kai. Amen. Thank you so Amen. much. I'm going to, uh, I could just kind of close in prayer. We'd go home, right? There's my sermon right there. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for Christine's place before we jump into the word together. Let me, let me pray for Dottie. Lord God, I thank you so much for the work that you're doing in Christine's place. God, for, for those who are lost and broken and, and, and confused and in fear, just like Dottie was, Lord, and to know that there's hope, that there's hope of the gospel, there's hope of your word that can, can change you from, from the, your, your innermost being, that you can grab a hold of this truth, not a surface truth, but a deep truth of the gospel, of transformation. Lord God, thank you for what you're doing through Dottie. Thank you for the, the lives that are being touched at Christine's place. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Lord God, I thank you that you don't waste anything. Father, you don't waste any of our pain. You don't waste any of the things that we've done, Lord God, but you use it for your glory. And God, thank you for this story here this morning of, of Dottie's life, of, of your grace in her life, of your transformation, and how you now have taken that and you've blessed her to be a blessing to others. God, I thank you for that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dottie.
So this morning, I, I want us to dig into God's word and see how does this look in my life? <clears throat> maybe maybe you, can, you can relate to that story and go, man, man my life does have that brokenness and, and I found the freedom of the gospel. I found the freedom of Christ in my life. Now how will Christ send me out? Maybe you relate to that story and I have that brokenness but I haven't experienced the freedom yet that you'd press into the truth of the gospel for you. Maybe for you this morning, you're like, man, I don't have a lot of brokenness but I do have a lot of blessing. What does God want to do with that? that you've been redeemed, that you've been changed. If you're here as a Christ follower, and listen, if, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, this is gonna sound a bit like a, hey, this is kind of an inside talk. This is a talk for the family of God, but I'm still glad you're here because listen, I want you to hear what we've been called to as Christ followers, that, that maybe you would hear the same thing and go, I want that too. I want that new life. I want that transformation. I wanna be on that same mission. So I've got a couple of prayers that I want us to, to see that come out of the text this morning. Let me read the first few verses. If you've got your Bibles open to Genesis 18, starting in verse 16, it says this. Then the men set out from there. Now, I've got to catch you up a bit. If you, if you haven't been here with us, these men, we, we've seen this from the beginning part of chapter 18, weren't just regular men. It was, it was the Lord himself and, and a couple of angels who had come to, to speak to Abraham and Sarah. So here they are, the Lord and some angels here. It says, these men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and sent them, set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. Then the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I'll go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Here's the first prayer I want us to see this morning that we would pray as a church, and it's this, Lord, open my eyes to the mission. Lord, open my eyes to the mission. <coughs> God's here, and, and, and he's, he's showed up in Abraham's life again, and he, he's on this mission, and, and verse 20 really tells us the key to the mission. Why is God here? What mission is he on? What are these angels doing? And they're called to this place of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, what's up with this place they're called to? I mean, even if you didn't grow up in church, most people would recognize those city names, Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you'll hear them used a lot. They're kind of a, a synonym for, for places of wickedness and debauchery. I mean, you might hear preachers on TV, they, they kind of liken a, a bunch of places. They, they may say, Las Vegas, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. You may have heard that, right? Mardi Gras, Sodom and Gomorrah down there. What's their sin? What's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that God's come down to see? Well, verse 20 says this, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave. There's an outcry against them and, and their sin is grievous to the Lord. And, and the, the sin that's so grievous to the Lord, the sin we most often attribute to Sodom and Gomorrah is a, is a sexual sin. 
I mean, they, they were a messed up city. You see it as you read through chapter 19, the, the chapter right after this chapter, when the angels go into Sodom and Gomorrah and they're going in to warn Lot, Abraham's nephew, of the destruction that's coming to the city. They go in to warn them and the men and the, every, it says all the men, young to old, come to Lot's house, banging on the door, saying, send us out those strangers. What are they doing? They're calling for the angels to come out. Why? Why? Because they wanted to rape them. And when, when Lot said, I'm not sending him out, you know what they said? Then send us somebody, your kids, whoever. It's a messed up city. Sinful, broken. But it also says that there's, there's an outcry that's come up against Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read in Ezekiel 16, 49 to 50, that, that they're also being judged by God for this. It says this in Ezekiel. It says, they had pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, but they didn't aid the poor and needy. What's it saying? They had lots and they shared little. They, they, they rested in their luxury and their ease and life is good and they didn't care about those around them who were broken and hurting and suffering. There was this social injustice in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God looks in on this. And he goes, enough's enough. We're dealing with that. Now you, can, you can read about Sodom and Gomorrah and God raining down fire on these cities. You can think, no, no, no. I mean, that's God of the Old Testament. That's when God was more cranky. Like that, that's kind of God's toddler years. He was really angry a lot. And, but then, then he matured and grew up. And we, we get in the New Testament a more matured and, and gracious and loving, gentle Jesus. Yeah, I don't, I don't see that in Scripture because here, here's what I see. If you love something, if you love someone, you hate the things that are destroying them. Listen, if you have a loved one who's suffering with cancer, you hate the cancer that's ravaging their body. And God looks in on Sodom and Gomorrah and, and he loved the poor that were being neglected. He loved the people there who were being sexually abused. He loved the guy who had been cheated out of his job. He loved the wife who had been left for another woman and, and God's love, because it's a true love, all true love would have anger, wrath towards the things that would destroy those they love. And listen, I've said it this way before. If I, I'm a dad of three daughters. If, if somebody was beating up one of my little girls and I just stood back and just watched it and let it happen, no one's gonna say, what a great dad he is. Look at his anger management. It's unbelievable. No, no, you would say, what a horrible dad. Step in, intervene. Don't you love your kids? And it's our love that would cause us to step in and say, no, I'm protecting them. And, and this is why God's here. God's saying, I, I gotta do something about this. But it's interesting because in verse 17, you notice it says there, it says that God's kind of making this, asking this question, should I tell Abraham about this mission? He's saying to the angels, hey, should we tell Abraham what we're doing? Now, Abraham's walking with them. What would you do if you're walking with a friend and a friend says to somebody else, hey, should we tell them what we're gonna do? You'd be like, tell me what you're gonna do. I think God's bringing Abraham in on the mission. I think God's there because he's saying, Abraham, I, I want you to, to, to be a part of this mission of, of reaching into the brokenness and the injustice. And again, it's the prayer that I want us to pray. Lord, open my eyes to the mission. 
I mean, think about it. Why would God, it says he wanted to go and see Sodom and Gomorrah. Why would God, omniscient God, the God who creates the universe, why would he need to come down to see Sodom and Gomorrah? He would know what's going on. I think he came down for Abraham to bring him into the mission. Abraham, I've blessed you to be a blessing, God would say. And, and listen, for us too, we are God's primary means of hope and healing and justice in a broken world. And this is the world we've been called to. Where, where we live is the world we've been called to, the culture we live in. We're to be agents of grace. We're to be messengers of the gospel into the world we live. I mean, think about it. Do you ever wonder, man, why are we here? I mean, why are we doing church? Why does Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound, why do we even exist? Why do we show up here every Sunday? Why do we serve? Why do we give? What's the point of all of this? I mean, is it a social club? Like, like we got good friends here and we get to hang out with some, some good friends? Is it, is it about learning? Why well, I get to learn more about the Bible? Is it, is it personal growth? Is it my family I mean, what's the mission of the church? What's my mission as a Christ follower? When you look at the early church in Acts, that's where they were first called Christians. Well, what's a Christian? It's a little Christ. And it's not like they came up with that name, like they all got in a room and Peter and them, and they got a whiteboard. Hey, what are some good names we should choose? Yeah, they're going, out, Christian, that's a good name. Buy some jerseys, put Christian on them. That'd be great, right? No, that's not what it was. Why were they called Christians? Because where they were, the people around them looking in called them Christians. They said, you guys are little Christs. You guys are like little Jesuses all around in our community. You, you guys talk and act like Jesus. You guys, you guys as a church, you, you treat your money like Jesus treated money. You, you're unbelievably generous. You guys love people like Jesus, they would say. I mean, you guys don't, don't just consider each other's friends or, or fellow churchgoers, but you consider each other family. You, you love and care for each other like your family. You guys love God's word like Jesus loves God's word. The early church were like sponges. They just soaked up God's word. And, and when Jesus said to the disciples, go and teach them all the things I've commanded you, they actually did it. I could see the people looking in saying, you guys are on mission like Jesus was on mission. I mean, you guys are on mission to a broken world, to broken people. And listen, listen, that's why we're here, Harvest. We're here as part of God's mission. I mean, God placed you where you live, in the community you are, to be on mission, to be on a mission of the gospel there, of mercy there, of God's grace there. That's his intention of why he put you where he did. I mean, your neighbors think you moved into your community because you found a nice house or a, a nice neighborhood or nice scenery or because you got a great job. Yeah, 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 that's not why God put you there. God brought you into that neighborhood because he wanted your neighbors to hear about Jesus. I mean, do you think that way? That's why, why God placed us as a church in this community. This, this is our divine destiny as Christ followers. He put you here. He put us as a church in Muskoka and Perry Sound to be a blessing. 
I mean, the, the fact that there's even a church here and in Perry Sound, the fact that we even have our churches is proof that God says, I want you to be on mission there. I've placed you there for this. And so what's that mean? It means, listen, as Christ followers in our community, we owe our community our sacrifice on their behalf. Listen, it's not that they deserve it. Sodom and Gomorrah didn't deserve what we're about to see Abraham do as Abraham calls out on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. They don't deserve God's grace. We don't owe it to our community because because they deserve it. No, we owe it to Jesus. Why? Because he blessed us to be a blessing. I love how Paul says in Romans 1.14, he says that he's a debtor to all those who haven't heard about Christ. Now, why, why would Paul say he's a debtor? Why would he say he's in debt to them? Listen, you can be in debt for a couple of reasons. You can owe somebody because they gave you some money and you owe it to them now. It's like, well, I, I owe them some cash. But you, you can also be a debtor this way, where you find yourself where you're dead broke, you're hopeless, and somebody generously gives you a ton of cash. Imagine it being more than you could ever spend in, in a lifetime. And then, then that person says to you, here's my requirement. My requirement is that you share this with, with others who are as hopeless and lost and desperate and broken as you were. At that point, you owe your wealth to others. Not because of them, but because of the one who blessed you. Listen, that's the gospel where, where Jesus reached into your life when you were broken and hopeless and he changed you. And so, so you say, because of that, because of God's grace, I owe it to those around me. In fact, it's the second prayer we pray. If we're gonna pray, Lord, Lord, I want you to open my eyes to the mission. Here's the, here's the second prayer. Lord, compel me with your grace. Lord, compel me with your grace. I mean, that's the debt Paul's talking about here. He's saying, Lord, I get it. I wasn't any more worthy than anybody else, but it's by your grace. I didn't have more potential than the the next guy. It was purely your grace. And so he feels compelled by God's grace in his life to be on mission for others who were no more worthy than him. Listen, God didn't save me. God didn't save you, Christ follower, because of you. It's not like he looked down and said, man, this one's really special. No, no, like he's got potential. No, no, her sin, it's not even that great. I I think I could use that. No, no, God steps in. And you and I, in this story of Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, who are we in this story? We are Sodom and Gomorrah. Desperate in need of God's grace. Let me show you how it plays out in the text here. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Then look at verse 22. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? I mean, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 at Sodom, 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. 
Abraham answered and said, well, behold, I, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I, I who am but dust and ashes, suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of the five? And God says, I, I won't destroy it if I find 45 there. God's all knowing, he can do math. He figured that one out pretty easily, all right? And he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I'll do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I won't destroy it. They said, oh, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak again, but this one, suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way and when he'd finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. What's going on here? I mean, Abraham's doing kind of this bartering with God. He's being like a backwards auctioneer, right? Give me 50, 50, 50, 50, 50. I have 45, 45. I'm gonna give me 40. And I'm gonna give 40, 30, 30, 20. Can somebody give me 20? He's kind of going this backwards bartering with the Lord all the way down to 10. I mean, what's going on here? Well, what happens is you see in verse 23, where it says, Abraham drew near and said, <coughs> kind of peculiar because it says that Abraham was already standing before the Lord, but then it says he drew near. That, that, that wording there, he drew near, it's actually a legal term in Hebrew. It, it's, it's a little bit like he approached the bench in a court of law. So Abraham standing up as this advocate for Sodom and Gomorrah. He begins to appeal to God based on behalf of the city. He says, God, I, I want to I plead for mercy for this city. <coughs> Now notice what he first says. He doesn't come to God and say, God, come on. Your anger, your justice, it's a little bit over the top here, isn't it? Like a, a lawyer doesn't come to a judge and say, hey judge, I kind of think this whole law thing, it's pretty stupid. Like, yeah, I, mean, I know that my, my client murdered somebody, but come on, murder, what a dumb law. You don't do that as a lawyer, right? No, no, you appeal to the law. And so what does he do? Abraham calls for justice. He says, God, God, you're a God of justice. You judge the world with justice. So certainly you wouldn't destroy righteous for the sake of the wicked. But then Abraham goes even further with his requests. He, he, he doesn't just say, would you just save those righteous 50 people? He actually says, hey, would you, would you save the many wicked for the righteousness of a few? Here's what's crazy about this. These were not good people. These people had not been good to Abraham at all. In a few chapters back, we see that they were fighting with Abraham and he had to battle against them. And yet here is Abraham advocating on behalf of this wicked city. Now, I started thinking when I first read through this, I'm like, wait a minute. Is he just doing this because he wants Lot to be saved? Is he counting down so we can get Lot? No, because that would have been an easy prayer. He could have said to God, God, would you rescue Lot of that and then tell you what, rain down fire and brimstone on those wicked Sodomites? Like he could have said that, but he didn't. Abraham's standing before God on Sodom's behalf, even when they deserve judgment. Abraham's fulfilling God's promise. He's blessed to be a blessing and, and, and he's risked to do this. How many times do you say, Lord, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I know I shouldn't even say this. I'm just dust and ashes. God, don't be angry with me. Don't strike me down for this. And he works his way down. 50, God? 
Guys, if I could find 50, I wouldn't do it. 40, 45, 30, 10. Would, would you do it for 10? Would you spare the city? Yes, I will spare the whole city for 10. And then all of a sudden, Abraham stops. Isn't that, isn't that weird? It looked like he was on a roll. Like I could count this thing right down to one, but he, he doesn't. And I, I wonder if Abraham knew at that moment as God was being so quick to say, I would do it for that many, begins to recognize that there's not even one person in that city who's righteous enough for God to spare the whole city. And so it ends. We read in chapter 19 that God lets Abraham warn, warn Lot and Lot gets out of the city, but then God destroys the city. And really there's this question that's, that's kind of left unanswered here that we don't actually have answered until we get to the New Testament. God, would, would you save the many for the righteousness of just one? Is there, is, there, is there no one righteous enough? Is there, is there anyone whose righteousness would take care of the wickedness of the many? And then we read in Romans 5.19, and it says that, that through Adam we were all made sinners, that the, the sin of one made the sin of many. But then it goes on, but through the perfect obedience of one, we all can be made righteous. Is there one? Yeah, there is one. That one is Jesus it's Jesus. 750 years before Jesus is born, Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he prophesies about the cross, all the horrible details of the cross, how Christ would suffer. And he gets to Isaiah 53, 11, and it says this, God will see the suffering of his soul and be satisfied. That Jesus, his righteousness, so, so perfect, so great. His sacrifice, such a, a perfect payment that justice would be served on the cross for our sin so that now we can ask forgiveness for our sins and God will give it to us. That, that God will give forgiveness to the wicked many because the righteousness of the one Jesus was enough for the sin of the many. So here we are in this story as, as Sodom and Gomorrah, but, but a better Abraham came, a better Abraham to plead on our behalf and, and one who could take our sin and give us his righteousness so that we could be declared righteous. That through Jesus, we, we go from being Sodom and Gomorrah to being children of God. And listen, listen, we've been given that blessing to be a blessing. We've been given that blessing to now stand in the gap like Abraham did and plead, plead for our communities, plead for our families and, and to trust that, that the God there is the same God we have now that, that is so full of justice and holiness and grace and mercy and he sent us out on this mission. And I love this. Jesus didn't die and, and be risen again to transform us so that we could huddle up and hide out and, and just hide away from the Sodom and Gomorrahs of our world and just wait for Jesus to come back. Jesus didn't do that so we could just play church. No, he, he did it so we could go boldly in his name until every person in every place has heard the gospel. And Jesus said this, even the gates of hell won't stop you from this mission. So then what's it look like for us as a church to, to be this kind of church? What would it look like for us as Harvest to be the kind of church you could read about in the pages of the New Testament? What, what are some things that we need to look at in our church and say, hey, this doesn't fit. 
Like the, the, the way I use my time, the, the way I use my finances, the amount that I serve, I don't think this fits. The extent to which I would say my life is on mission. When we see that we're blessed like Abraham's been blessed, then we start to see the resources of our life to be used by God as this seed that he multiplies to increase his mission. In fact, I heard one preacher say this, when, we get to, when you get to understand this idea, I've been blessed to be a blessing, the, the question moves from how much do I have to give and it becomes, what am I not giving and why am I not giving it? So, so not so much, well, what do I have to do? How do I have to serve it to? Why am I not? God gives us this blessing and he, he blesses our lives. Listen, he gives us blessings so we can enjoy him, we can enjoy his creation, but we need to start asking what time, what finances, what part of my life am I not using to increase God's kingdom? Because 1 John says, hey, hey, we're not supposed to just do this with talk. Let's not love in word and talk, but in faith and in deeds. I mean, think about it. Jesus in heaven had every right to stay in heaven, to not humble himself, to not come on mission for us. And Philippians says that he humbled himself to become a man and humbled himself to the point of being obedient, to the point of dying on the cross for our sins. But think about it. He didn't have to do that. I can imagine him in heaven and angels going, what do you, you don't need to do this. I mean, you work so hard creating all this. Like, take some time for yourself, Jesus. Why don't you let somebody else do it? Jesus said, no, I, I'm going to go. In that same passage in Philippians, it says that, that our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to be on mission. I mean, think about it. Jesus, after he rose from the grave, he appears to his disciples. And he says, hey, hey, guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think about that. He had just conquered Satan and sin and death and he gathers them together. Look, he gathers us together. He says the same thing, that, that all authority, I've got all the authority. I can do whatever I want. I can say and ask whatever I want. Nothing in heaven or on earth will stop me. I mean, what a powerful way to begin a statement. He's about to ask us something. He says, hey, listen, I, I don't care what your friends say, what your mom says, what the world says. I have every ounce of authority to say what I'm about to say. And then he says this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Now I gotta tell you, the most exciting places in our church, the most exciting places are where this is happening. The most exciting homes are where this is taking place. The most exciting marriages, the most exciting families are where this is happening. But listen, what will kill this mission that Christ has called each one of us to as Christ followers, what will kill it isn't persecution. It's not the fact that, the, that, uh, that Canada's, oh, it's going so much the other way and it's gonna be harder to be a Christian. Listen, persecution has never stopped the church. In fact, it's actually grown the mission of the gospel. So that's not gonna stop it. I don't even think it'll be so much more, you would think the obvious, oh, if we have bad doctrine or, or something like that in our church. I gotta tell you, what I think what kills the mission is when we start to drift from what we've been called to as followers of Jesus and we start to believe those, those subtle lies. 
well, I got young kids. I'm discipling my kids. That, that's my mission. And yeah, of course, that is what we're called to as parents. But listen, don't believe the lie that you get 18 years off of the mission. No, while we raise our kids, we still pour ourselves out for wherever Christ has placed us. Don't believe the lie that says, I've done my part. It's, it's, uh, I've served so much already. I, I've been serving in church for, for decades. It's time for somebody else to take up the mission, to step up. Listen, listen. Here, here's the thing. If you're still alive, you're still on mission, all right? There's, there's no retirement plan in, in, in God's mission. Well, there is. There's a retirement plan. It's called heaven, so, right? so if you're dead, that's cool. You're, you're done. You can retire. But if, if you're still alive, you're still on mission, I would say this, if you've served for years and, and you want younger Christians, newer believers to, to step up and serve more, the best way is to ask them to join you. Say, hey, why don't you come and serve with me? Why don't you see what, as, as I serve the Lord? Because I'm telling you, new Christians, younger Christians are looking, saying, is there somebody I can look up to? Is there somebody who would disciple me in this? That's your role. Don't step out and think, well, they'll fill the gap. Don't believe the subtle lie that says this, I'm not good enough yet to be used by God. Listen, if you know Jesus, if you've repented of your sin and given your life to him, you right now are filled with his Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't have to be perfect like Jesus is. You just have to point people to Jesus. And if you're like, yeah, yeah but you don't know my past. You don't know my brokenness. God said, listen, I've redeemed that. I've changed that. I've, I've healed that. I've, I'm gonna use that for the mission moving forward. It's not about being perfect before you can be used by God. I've said this before. We're all beggars just pointing other beggars to where there's bread. That's our mission. So, so if, if you're new in the faith, if, if you're struggling in sin, if you've got a past of sin and shame, listen, bring that to the cross. Get into his word. Deal with your sin. Lay down your past at the cross. Get into a small group. Learn and grow. And then, listen, ask big like Abraham asked big. He said, God, save the whole city. I mean, dream big for how God could use you on the mission. You're like, I don't know if God, God could. Pray those big prayers. Pray for those that you want drawn by God to salvation. I mean, let, let's just follow what Jesus called us to do. Let's just open up the word and say, God, if it's said it in here, then I want to live it out. And listen, I gotta tell you this, to, to live it out that way, to be a biblical Christian, it's, it's very hard to do in a North American church. Everybody's gonna push against you, push away from this, this all-in Jesus freak. I'm gonna live out the word. I'm gonna give it up. They're gonna push you towards, no, 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 no. Go after comfort. Go after ease. It, the Canadian churches keep telling you, no, settle down. Just quiet down. No, sit down. No, simmer down. No, slow down. And forget that. We're, we're to be countercultural. We're not to embrace our culture. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds because we're reading God's word saying, this is what he's called me to. And he's given me his spirit to do this. As the worship team comes up, as we close off this morning, here's my prayer for us as a church. Listen, when we're all of us on mission, this changes a church. Like church is not supposed to be that place where you show up and, and you get entertained and, 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 and you kind of critique and go, well, you know, the worship wasn't good this morning. Or, I don't like the way they do Harvest Kids, so I'm gonna go find another church. That, that's not church. Church in the beginning, when the church was launched, in the New Testament, 
It was a group of people who spent their week out in the world, going into the broken places to broken people, giving their lives, calling people to Jesus, discipling people, living for Jesus, going into the the worst places to the the people who were hurting the most. And they would come back every week to church and they'd be wore out and beat up and and they gather together to encourage each other, to, to, to ju- dig into God's word together, to worship together. Why? To be sent back out into the world again. And Jesus promised us the gates of hell won't hold you back. So this morning, as you stand together with me as we close off this morning in prayer before we worship, as you stand and bow your heads and close your eyes for us to pray, I want to ask you this question. Who's that one person? Who's that one family? And you've been blessed by God to be a blessing to them. Who's that one person that you you would start to pray for even this morning? You, You would stand in the gap like Abraham did and say, Lord, Lord, would you reach into this life? And that question matters because because by believing God as we press into these things, listen, eternities of people change. I mean, think about that, 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 that we have an opportunity, that what we do is we step in on God's mission as, as God says, come join me on this mission, that, that eternity can change for people. That because Abraham followed, because Abraham trusted, because Abraham surrendered it all, because Abraham lived his life on mission, you and I are here. So let me leave you with this question. Who will point to you and say, because he or she followed, I'm now here? Who will point to you and say, because they trusted, trusted God, I'm now trusting? Who will point to you and say, because because they gave it all, because they they believe God for impossible things, I now know Jesus and I worship him. As you think about being sent out on mission, listen, it's not just a hard call for us to, to go out. It's not just a challenge and a conviction. Listen, there's also a promise that goes with it that the gates of hell won't prevail against this mission. Jesus says, you're not gonna fail on this mission. God even says, test me on it. Give as much as you can give and see if I don't rain down blessing on you. Not for you to have for yourself, but to be blessed, to be a blessing. Let me pray, Lord God, I pray that you would send us out. Father, this morning, we, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be, we'd be doers also. Lord God, that we would recognize that in our lives, we were Sodom and Gomorrah. God, you rescued us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for increasing us, for blessing us so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. And God, I pray that we would lay everything down for this cause. I pray that we would surrender it all, that we would would lay down our sin, our shame, our past. We could lay that down. We would would lay down our, our time, our talents, our schedules, our stuff, our finance. We would lay it all down and say, Lord, I surrender it to you. I surrender my sin to you. I don't want to run to that anymore. I surrender my apathy to you. Jesus, we surrender it all. 
pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. You'd use us for your kingdom, that, that you'd have your way in us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.